After years as a pediatric nurse, I thought I was so ready for motherhood. <laughs> yes, we can all take a collective laugh at my naivete now. Don't worry, I have. In today's world, we're pressured to keep it all together as at an all-time high, and true community is increasingly harder to find. Where can we turn to for support, guidance, or just a plain chat about the real stuff? This podcast aims to be just that, community, education, and a real combo on all things parenting. So come take a seat at my kitchen table. We're all family here, and we hold nothing back. My name is Jordan, and this is the Supported Parenthood RM Podcast. A hot-button topic the last few years has been the rising maternal mortality in the United States. Quite frankly, I don't think this issue gets enough noise, and when it is discussed, the problem is often overly discussed instead of solutions. I am a fix-it girl. When I see an issue, I like to fix it. In both the professional and personal sphere, I don't bring an issue up unless I offer a solution. That solution might not always work or be best, but I've at least thought and given enough effort into fixing a problem I saw was worth enough to bring attention to. And this approach needs to happen more. Yes, we have a nauseatingly high maternal mortality rate in the U.S., and something needs to be done about it. It's a complex issue, with many problems snowballing into one. The biggest issue I see, though, the postpartum problem. In America, the lack of support and medical monitoring that doesn't happen in the most vulnerable time for both mom and baby, the first six weeks postpartum, is deplorable. We have a lack of support at the individual, medical, communal, legislative, and societal level. So for those that have heard about this issue but don't know much information, I'm going to set the stage. The maternal mortality rate counted as deaths per 100,000 births in pregnancy up to one year postpartum for America is 17.4 deaths per 100,000 births. In a comparative study done of 10 of the wealthiest Western nations, the U.S.'s maternal mortality rate was double the next highest rate, which is 8.7, and that's for France. So what is the U.S. doing wrong? My argument is that our care model, which is OBGYN-led and intervention-based, compounded with a general lack of practitioners, contributes to this high rate of maternal death. In this 10-country comparison, the only other Western nation that was similar to our model was Canada, and they too have a higher than average maternal mortality rate. Their difference being that they have a higher access to postpartum home visits and they have paid parental leave, two factors that I believe greatly decrease adverse maternal and infant outcomes. So what are adverse maternal outcomes? The majority, roughly 80%, of postpartum deaths happen one to 42 days or six weeks postpartum, with the majority of those deaths happening one to six weeks postpartum. The leading cause of death in this time period is hemorrhage, infection, and severe high blood pressure or eclampsia. These are all generally preventable complications. There will always be outliers in medicine that simply do not respond to interventions or just get missed. However, with these three leading causes, if they are caught early and treated early and properly, maternal death can be completely prevented. 
Some would argue that the U.S.'s high C-section rate is a contributing factor for maternal mortality due to the fact that C-sections increase the risk for both hemorrhage and infection. And while this is valid, when we compare to other countries, for example, Australia, who has a slightly higher rate of C-sections at 33%, America's being around 31%, their maternal mortality rate is 4.8 compared to our 17.4. So this alone is not enough to substantiate that argument. It's only a certain part. However, when we compare countries with similar birth interventions like Australia, the major difference is in postpartum care. Most other well-developed countries have a midwife-led model midwifery care for low-risk births have better outcomes for maternal and infant health across the board every time. The midwifery-led model has a snowball effect because everything in postpartum is connected. For example, midwifery care in low-risk pregnancies lead to greater healthcare access, resource allocation, and reduces the number of interventions in birth, which in turn lowers the risk of complications. And lower interventions and complications means lower birth trauma rates. Lower birth trauma rates means higher rates of maternal infant bonding, breastfeeding, and lower rates of postpartum depression. Lower rates of postpartum depression lead to higher positive health outcomes for the infants. And this is just one vein of how changing one aspect of the care model rolls into a domino effect of positive outcomes. In the last episode, The Business of Birth, it was discussed how America is so socialized to believe in Western biomedicine above all, but how in birth, it's natural. In low-risk pregnancies, nature and letting things progress as they may tends to be better. Pregnancy is not an illness and does not generally need intervened upon. The Netherlands, for example, the Dutch home birth rate is around 13% and they're attended by a midwife and their mortality, maternal mortality rate is only three per 100,000 births. It's one of the lowest rates in the world. So natural lower intervention and midwife led care for lowest pregnancies, honestly, in my opinion, is the future of maternal health, which ironically is really just going back to a more natural, female-based, communal aspect and approach to pregnancy and birth. And I think that it's going to be the sweet spot because now we have interventions and appropriate medicine to prevent and correct and treat major complications because there's always going to be some kind of complication. But we are marrying old, natural nature tradition of midwife-led care with the advancement of our technology and our medicine, which is absolutely needed. And we're marrying those two to treat this normal, natural process. But having midwife-led care isn't enough. We actually need providers to provide this care. That is one of the biggest issues that's going on in the U.S., I think. The United States has one of the biggest dearths in providers. For example, America has 15 providers per 1,000 live births, four of those providers being midwives. Australia has 75 providers per 1,000 live births, 68 68 of those being midwives. 
Or let's look at Norway, who has a maternal mortality rate of 1.8 deaths per 100,000 births. That is so low. And they have 65 providers for every 1,000 births, and 58 of those are midwives. Canada, who has a higher maternal mortality rate than most developed nations at 8.6, has 12 providers per 1,000 live births, and only four of those being midwives. So this, I believe, is a testament to how access of care and the ability for a provider to actually follow up and spend time with patients and see patients and focus on the holistic picture in the postpartum period is vital to maternal health. One large topic in maternal health is a lack of access to care barriers once the healthcare system is accessed. And this is seen in higher rates of maternal morbidity and mortality in our minority communities, especially Black mothers in America or Aboriginal mothers in Australia. Systemic medical inequality is not unique to America. This issue has played out all over the world. And I actually... This is a personal opinion, an educated guess. I actually suspect that France, whom also has a higher rate of maternal mortality, despite having a generally higher and more solid ratio of providers and midwives, is prey to this issue because France also has a really high refugee and migrant population. And refugee and migrant mothers are the most vulnerable population in the world. So again, that's simply an educated guess based on France's data and what little I know of their population, but I'd be willing to bet it's a pretty solid guess. So not only do we need more midwives, but we intensely need more midwives of color and we need diversity within the medical field as to provide supportive, comfortable, informed, and welcoming care for all communities. Because when you can access the healthcare system. And then once you access the healthcare system, be provided a practitioner that is within your own community, that changes the game so much. Even as something as simple as when you're a woman and you want a female provider, you don't want a man digging around in your lady bits. You know, imagine that feeling tenfold of I want not only a woman or, you know, maybe you don't care if it's a man, whatever. Maybe you, I just want uh, an African provider. I want a black provider or I want a Hispanic provider. Having access to healthcare is wonderful, yes, but having access to healthcare with a provider and practitioner that is a part of your community is a game changer. And so when we are providing culturally competent and inclusive care, it looks like training and respecting all sorts of different cultures and their traditions and marrying that biomedicine midwifery-led training with different cultural aspects because culture and spirituality play a huge part in pregnancy, birth, and mothering. And we need to not forget that holistic part that comes in to postpartum care. So as we're trying to figure out what postpartum care looks like, it needs to not only have a technical aspect, but it also needs to have a cultural and spiritual aspect as well. It needs to be holistic postpartum care. But how can we even attempt to get holistic postpartum care when we don't even have a proper bare minimum? So in America, it's one follow-up at six weeks. That's it. One in-office follow-up at six weeks postpartum. Wrap your head around that. One visit after 
after the most vulnerable and critical time in a mother's postpartum period is done. How does this make sense? Providers in America rely a lot on patients to contact them in the event of an issue or emergency, but this model only works if patients are properly educated and informed on complications and the signs and symptoms of those complications. And let me tell you, people are not properly educated on any of this. Yes, when you're discharged from the hospital, you're given a little spiel and a packet, most likely, hopefully, written word is amazing, about when to call your doctor, but let me ask you, when you are 48 to 72 hours postpartum, are you in any mind frame to absorb critical information? The answer to that is most likely no. I know I wasn't. And one of the reasons written information is so vital for discharge education is because of this. But as a nurse who has done these spiels, there is so much important information that is jam-packed into about 10 minutes of me talking at you while you're most likely holding a baby or in pain or just want to get home or any myriad of legit feelings or distractions as you're being discharged. So that's the education you're provided to monitor yourself and your health until six weeks later when a doctor looks you over and says, now, what contraception do you want? It's ridiculous. Not only is postpartum care lacking, but so are general communal resources. When I asked for resources to support me through working through my birth trauma, first I had to ask because I knew that I needed help and not everyone is in a place to recognize this, first of all. But even when I did ask point blank for resources, my doctor literally had none. I was on my own. And this is unacceptable. Then, as I discussed in my Creating Community podcast episode, American culture is pretty hostile to mothers and children. Mothers are isolated and children are seen as an inconvenience in public, which leads to even further isolation for mothers. Breastfeeding is not widely and readily accepted, even though breastfeeding is one of the best interventions for both maternal and infant health. If we do not support our mothers on a cultural and communal level, we will never advance as a society because our mothers and children will continue to get sicker and sicker. I see a TikTok going around right now, and it's people with binoculars, and they're joking. It's going, me looking for the village it takes to raise a child. And while it's a joke, it's absolutely true. It does take a village to raise children, and our village at large has abandoned us. And if we have a village, we barely have time to access it because America is one of the only developed countries without guaranteed parental leave. This is atrocious. And I believe it contributes to maternal mortality because I've known mothers going back to work at like three, four weeks postpartum because they couldn't afford not to. And this is completely unacceptable. Mothers need legit physical and mental and emotional time to transition, to heal, and every baby deserves time to bond. Both of these are essential in maternal and infant child care. And I firmly, me personally, believe the minimum maternity leave should be six months and parental leave for the partner should be at least a month for the support person. If these times were protected at the governmental level, I believe that we would see a decrease in maternal and infant mortality simply from this intervention alone. You know, and this kind of plays into how the American Academy of Pediatrics just announced their recommendation for breastfeeding up to two years being optimal for both mom and baby. 
One, again, this makes me giggle because that's literally what our bodies were designed to do. And I know I keep making this comment, but American healthcare lately has just been making me laugh because it's coming out with all this quote unquote newfound data. And it's simply data that supports nature. <laughs> but anyway, so this new recommendation comes out not too long ago, like within the past couple weeks. And that's wonderful. But how are our mothers supposed to implement this? Breastfeeding and working full-time rarely is a long-term arrangement because it is incredibly difficult. And even while you're dedicated to making it work, the stress alone typically will reduce your milk supply enough that it really doesn't become worth it to keep pumping. I mean, at least that's what happened to me, and I know I'm not alone in that. Breastfeeding mothers are usually unaware of what little rights they have and therefore don't demand to uphold those rights. And that, again, is an education gap. And in a society where breastfeeding anywhere, anytime is typically shamed, how can we sit here and decry our maternal mortality rate without actually talking about all the factors that lead up to it? It's not just a healthcare issue. It's not just a systemic racism issue. It's a culture issue as well. And cultural changes come from within. But cultural change also requires a certain level of uncomfortable self-accountability. And I know that most people aren't really up to that task. It's a lot easier to blame extraneous forces than sitting there and truly looking at our own biases, at our own issues, and working to change those. I often see it's moms, you know, really at the forefront of calling for change or bringing to light certain issues surrounding parenting. And while that makes sense because they're the ones in it, they're the ones with the experience, that kind of cultural change takes everybody to join in. It takes everybody to recognize the value and the needs of mothers and how that affects society at large and to respect and try and uphold change for them, like lobbying for paid parental leave or X, Y, and Z, things like that, or just turn a blind eye when you see a mom breastfeeding or hold a conversation with her. I don't care, but don't shame her. Things like that. It's not just the parents that need to stand up for these changes. It takes everybody and it takes everyone kind of looking at themselves and acknowledging where their own limitations and biases and where the culture at large limitations and biases lies when blocking parents from essentially living their best life, y'all. <laughs> So we have all these different barriers and some are very abstract and then some are pretty concrete in tangible ways that we could change them. You know, in other countries, home visits, for example, are typically woven into the healthcare delivery model as standard of practice for postpartum care. And the amount and frequency of home visits varies from country to country, but but it, it seems like most Western developed nations have around four to six postpartum visits in the first six weeks on average. And uh, I personally think, me going here, at least for a first time mom, um, it should be two visits a week for the first two weeks and then weekly until six weeks. Probably another follow-up around 12 weeks postpartum for like a holistic, how you doing, emotional, spiritual, mental type of type of checkup uh, because I don't think the six week is an appropriate one for mental health alone. 
Um, but I definitely think there needs to be more formalized studies and comparison studies so we can kind of figure out the sweet spot of postpartum care since it does widely vary. Uh, but one thing is obvious is that more providers, more visits, and holistic ongoing postpartum care that starts at birth results in better maternal outcomes. And not only do home visits result in better maternal outcomes, though, there are a few studies that reveal that home visits by a qualified nurse creates positive infant outcomes as well, both immediately and in the long term. Two examples, a 2021 study published in JAMA found that when a family connects, which is a program of nurses that did home visits to poor areas, when a family connects nurse did one to three home visits in the first three weeks for support, education, and connecting with resources, it found that those children that had an FC nurse home visit had 39% fewer child protective services investigations for suspected child abuse and neglect. And families assigned a Families Connect nurse also had a 33% decrease in total child emergency medical care use. And then another study was a 2010 study also published in JAMA showed that children that had a nurse visit their mothers in home visits in the early postpartum period for support and education were less likely to use cigarettes, alcohol, and weed before 12 years old were less likely to report internalizing disorders, and scored higher on Peabody individual achievement tests in reading and math in their first six years of education. And this to me shows that when a mother is supported and educated, she feels confident and has the tools to invest properly in her children. When So when we look at all of these issues and barriers to this massive postpartum problem, you know, maternal mortality and rising maternal mortality is a postpartum problem. There obviously are so many layers, and so there are going to be layers of solutions. And so to me, when we lay it all out, on the individual level, a mother needs more frequent postpartum visits, more access to resources, and individualized supportive care, whether that's from her community or her care part or her partner or her doctor and medical team. On the medical level, we need more providers and midwife-led care. On the cultural level, we need to begin to value and protect mothers and children. We need to support them. We need to normalize breastfeeding and we need to be the village. On the legislative level, we need protected, guaranteed, and paid family leave. And we also need better breastfeeding environments at work. And above all, above all, we need mother education and empowerment to be at the forefront of all change. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm always incredibly grateful to be invited into your space and time. If at any point in today's episode you thought, hmm, man, my friend would really love this, share this podcast with them and grow our community. Everyone is welcome. You can check out detailed show notes on my website, supportedparenthoodrn.com, or find me on Instagram at supportedparenthoodrn.